Amen. Well, Westmount, grab your Bibles. <coughs> grab your Bibles. We'll be in the book of Romans, and we'll get there in a moment. But a word before we do, I would say, as I stand here this morning, I do believe we have Westmount officially run out of words to describe the past four months. Have we not? We've just run out of words to describe what we have been through these past four months. And in a sense, can I tell you from our vantage point, certainly as elders and mine, it feels like we've reached what Solomon describes in Ecclesiastes 12, 13. Remember, he said, the end of the matter, all has been heard. I feel like we're there. To be sure, some new variation of change and upheaval might be around the corner. I think we're learning to live with that, right? What is going to be the next big thing tomorrow? We're learning to live with that. There will be a new thing. But at the end of the matter, whether it's plague or protest or power struggles, all of it, all of it, no matter what's to come, is all still a product of the curse, is it not? It's a curse. As long as this corrupted realm this fallen globe remains, there will be chaos, confusion, and changing narratives. Beloved, this is indeed our world. Now that said, there is, from the standpoint of our local body here at Westmount, one more loose thread that we really do need to address after these four months. And before we turn the corner, there's really one thing left remaining. And believe me, it's a sense where Myself, elders, all of us want to just move on, right? No one's more anxious to get on to our next series, which will be on worship in August. I'm ready to get there. I hope you are too. No one's more ready for our new book study in the fall, Exodus. I'm ready for that. I know you are too. Let's just move on, right? We've heard enough these past four months. However, before we move on to those wonderful things, there is one last thing. And it is the matter of opinion. Opinion. Second, only to the reality of a new normal. I know you're tired of hearing that word, a new normal. Second, only to the reality of a new normal is this opinions on the new normal. Do you know what I mean? Opinions about what the new normal should look like. That's where we're at. Now, listen, opinions are natural. Opinions can be helpful. Opinions bring clarity, praise God. Yet because of the curse, we encounter problems when opinions, here it is, disagree. If opinions can be good, and they are, hear me this morning, they are, they can be, what do we do when opinion disagrees? What do we do? Good question. Well, for many of us, myself included, saved later in life, we know how we handle disagreement without Christ, right? You know what I'm talking about? I know exactly how I handle disagreement. You disagree with me, and it gets ugly. You disagree with me, sides are taken. You disagree with me, and I draw my sword. That's how the unbeliever, the unregenerate, the one apart from Christ deals with disagreement. However, beloved saints, that, of course, is not the way of Christ, right? Right? It's not the way of Christ. 
It's not the Christian way. Refreshingly, refreshingly, God gives us both prescription and principle for such disagreement. I pray that's a relief to you. In our disagreements, there is prescription and principle. Praise God from his word. Open your Bibles to Romans 14. Romans 14. This is one of those chapters that it is like a cold glass of water in the desert. When things flare up amongst believers, this is the chapter you want to cling to tight. Romans 14, a passage that deals square on with differing opinion, differing convictions, preferences, and more so from our Lord, how do we deal with them? How do we deal with them? Now, to be clear this morning, we are going to, we're endeavoring to extract principles from this text. That's what we're doing today. We're going to extract principles from this text. Responses to COVID-19, or here it is, opinions on COVID-19, do not map directly to this text. I want to be clear this morning. Under no delusions that that's what this is trying to do. We're extracting principles here. Paul didn't write to the Roman church to address a pandemic. So we're extracting principles. However, there was an issue in Rome of differing opinions, colliding convictions. That's what is going on here. And more, here it is, a problem with the practice. Here it is, the practice of differing opinions. It's one thing to hold a different opinion, another thing to practice. Do you see that? When it moves from what I think to what I do, well, then you could have problems. In fact, more so when opinion gets elevated to morality. When opinion gets elevated to this is right, this is wrong. Then we have issues. And that equation of opinion to morality, beloved, can I submit to you this morning, that will always cause an issue. Out of the church, in the church alike, it will always cause an issue. Just like we're seeing today. And certainly, far beyond the walls of our church, opinions span the spectrum. And let me just give you that spectrum. This is important as we begin, because we really, this is not going to be a message going into depth of the virus or response. We're going to preach the text. But by way of setting the table this morning, we need to look at the spectrum that is very practical to us today. Residing at one pole and one extreme on one end, and here it is, let's just call it the pole over here, you can call it whatever pole you like, is the pole that says what's going on today with pandemic is much ado about nothing. This is, amplifying this group here would be, it's nothing more than the flu. That's what you have on this. You're like, why, why all the fuss? We're so overdone. That's this pole. Residing all the way at the other end would be, wow, we have not begun to understand what this thing is. We, we have just scratched the surface. We can't do much because we don't know what we're dealing with. Those are your two poles. And I want to be clear, especially within our walls, not everyone, maybe not anyone in this room is at either one of those ends, but is it not true, Westmount, we all reside somewhere in between? Is that not true? We all have our place on that spectrum. But here's what I want you to think about that spectrum. We're often much further apart on that spectrum than we first realize. As this pandemic rolls on, you realize as you start to interact with how is life going to go on, you realize, well, wait a minute, you, you don't agree with me. That's not the way it should be. We actually are a little further apart than we first realized. And offense is taken. Hurt grows. 
That's where we're at. And now four months into this pandemic, as things open up, and here's the tension, things are opening up, we're in stage three, you hear about spikes across the world, you wait a minute, second wave, you hear third wave, all of these waves, there's a tension for both poles. And beloved, you can imagine the problem. Those differing opinions are no longer just small talk. Do you remember the small talk of month one? How big is this thing going to be? What is this thing? What are we dealing with? I got a little more home time. Now, those pleasant conversations are gone as people get back to their lives. Responding, regathering, returning, reacting is now indeed a matter of opinion. That brings us to two very important and final disclaimers before we launch into this text. Number one, this is about personal conviction and personal opinion. Why? Because it is not about breaking the law, whether it's God's law or man's law. I think we would all agree on that. We're not talking about breaking the law anymore. This past Friday, Peterborough, along with many jurisdictions in Ontario, moved to stage three. People can gather legally. We're doing this this morning legally. To be sure, there's lots of recommendations, lots of advice. The elders poured over a document, every heading, advice on this, advice on that. Recommendations, guidance, and advice for sure, and we take it all in. But what we're doing this morning is legal. Is legal. And we do it under the law. And thus, we do so carefully and responsible, and here it is, with the help of opinions. Elders have been blessed by many opinions, certainly helped us make decisions. So what we're not talking about, though, this morning, and I say that to say, nor is Romans 14 addressing, are issues of right and wrong. Can we settle our hearts? These are not issues of right or wrong, right? It's not right or wrong. This is not addressing this chapter, this text, and where we're at, sin or law-breaking. That's not what we're talking about. I mean, that would be a different message. That would call for a different response, right? You've seen us do that. So that's number one. Two, this is opinion, this is personal preference, just like food intake and day observances are opinion. Now that's really now getting, I'm connecting us to the text because Paul's going to talk about food and days. Beloved, there is no food that is sinful to eat. Some may disagree with that. But there is no food that is sinful to eat. Praise God for Mark seven nineteen, when our Lord and Savior said what? He declared all foods clean. Yet, we recognize, we talked about this in FOF this morning, did we not? There are some foods that are not helpful, certainly when we indulge in them. So we understand even though things are lawful, within the umbrella of law, there's some things you enter into that warrant what? Risk, cancer, heart disease, and so on. And it accumulates. So we recognize the domain we're in. Just because all foods are clean and it's all lawful doesn't mean you're not entering into risk when you eat packaged food or meat or veg or whatever it would be, right? And there are a variety. And with that, and, you, and let me prove this to you, we know that for everyone in this room, you probably have an opinion on food intake, do you not? Some of you haven't eaten for the past 12 hours. You're intermittent fasting. Some of you are weight watching. Some of you are very clear that these foods shouldn't be consumed and these ones should. And that's great. Great. And most of you aren't militant about diets and food, but we hear the caution. And we're going to observe how a difference of opinion on food, it's right here in the text, 
affected relationships. We're going to see that. It's the same thing with days. In Rome, like many in ancient times, days were esteemed. One day was given more preference than the rest, right? Now, some were coming out of, you have some of those Jews, you have the feast days, particular days of the week, right? Maybe there were other religions, so to speak, in that first century that honored a particular day and a particular feast, and there was an esteem given to particular days, and people got really worked up about that. Yet again, the New Testament teaching is clear. Listen to Colossians 2.16. To a group that was dealing with this in Colossae, let no one pass judgment on you, here it is, in questions of food and drink, or with regard to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath. Let no one pass judgment on you. In other words, we can say because those things don't matter anymore. In Christ. The old has been abolished, as Jim read. That, that's come down. All those hostilities, not only Jew and Gentile, but all of those things that we put up as barriers to God are gone. Again, some can get very militant about honoring certain days, yet like food, there's no law about what day is right or wrong or what food is wrong. And church, here is where we map to the opinions of today. Pandemic response and regathering practice responsibly under the law, here it is, is not a matter of right or wrong. We're not addressing sin here. Yet our tendency, and I include myself in this, our tendency in response is to treat it as such, especially when we have strong opinions. Is that not true? When we have strong opinions, we have to be very careful that we don't cross the line to morality. Again, here is where the principles of this wonderful chapter, Romans 14, will help us. And I want to be clear again as we begin, this is principle. We're pulling principles from this text. There's much more going on in Rome. There's issues of salvation here and all kinds of other things. We're not dealing with that today. That's not the purpose of parachuting into Romans 14. We're extracting principle. And along those lines, we're not going to press the pandemic into every verse here. That's not the point, and that would be irresponsible to do that. However, instead, we're going to put the pandemic aside for now and just study the text. And what I pray this morning, Westmount, pray that things will become clear. Just to look at God's word and things will become clear. We're going to leverage the similar, or similar opinion problem in Rome to help us today, and I encourage us to just consider how this chapter applies to us personally. That's all we're doing this morning. So enough introduction. Let's get to the text. Let's begin in verse 1 with this heading, Welcome Opinion. Welcome Opinion. Look with me at verse 1. As for the one who is weak in faith, welcome him, but not to quarrel over opinions. I want you to see he uses the word weak there. Paul is going to frame this chapter. Look at chapter 15, verse 1. You see another word, we who are strong. So chapters con contrasting those weak and the strong in the faith, especially when it comes to convictions. And the chapter is going to break down those two, the weak and the strong, as we go. So we'll be popping into them periodically through this chapter. But that's the, the bookends for this. He begins with the weak. For now, consider what Paul says at the end of verse 1. This is so important. This really is, this is the heart of what we're looking at today. He says what? Do not what? Do not quarrel over opinions. Do not quarrel over opinions. It's just so stark, isn't it? God just says, don't quarrel about these things. Don't quarrel about opinion. 
This command provides the setting for what's going on here in Rome. It sets the scene. There is in Rome quarreling over opinion. Obviously, vocal disagreement on opinion because the Apostle Paul is inspired to write about it. We know this is quite a dust-up going on in Rome. Look at that word again, opinion, because it's informative for us. That word opinion, it means preference. We know that word. But what does it not mean? It doesn't mean sin. It doesn't mean what's right. It doesn't mean what's wrong. Paul here is addressing opinion. Opinion. And when brothers and sisters differ on opinion, the verse says what? Welcome them. See that? Welcome them. There is another word to note. Look at that word welcome. That's a great word, a great Christian word. That word in verse 1, which, by the way, is a command. We're commanded to welcome those, not quarrel with them of different opinion. That word, welcome, means to take hold of. I want you to get that visual. Welcome means to take hold of. Sure, you can think of it as the nice, warm embrace, right? Take hold of it. This is more than just nodding. This is more than just, I see that. This is receiving. You see that? If you have a King James, it says receiving. If you have an NASB or NIV, it says this is accepting. Do you see it's much more than just visual assent? This is a reception, an acceptance. It's a taking hold of. So in other words, this word is not okay, I agree, right? We just flimsily change our convictions because someone stronger said something. No, that's not what this word is saying. We just lay down, okay, well, you have a stronger voice and opinion, so yes. This word is this, okay, I hear you, okay, I'm listening, okay, I hear what you say. This word even more, and this is it, this is really where we get to the heart of the Christian interaction. This word is, I may not agree with you, but that's okay, I hear you, brother, I receive you, sister. That's what this word is saying. To sum up this command then, and really so much in this opening verse, when Christians disagree on opinion... We're not to speak louder or shut the other person out. No, the verse says we hear each other and look at it, we welcome each other. What a picture. In disagreement, we welcome each other. Let me tell you something right now. Think about your latest foray into social media. Is that what goes on when there's disagreement? Is there a welcoming? Is there benevolence? Is there kind? No. You see right away, again, we always talk about these things, how the way of God and the way of the world are at odds with each other. No, we welcome one another in disagreement. What a beautiful, beautiful picture. So what's the difference of opinion in Rome here? You're probably saying, what is the spat? What's going on in Rome? Well, let's look at verse 2. One person believes he may eat anything, while the weak person eats only vegetables. Let not the one who eats despise the one who abstains, and let not the one who abstains pass judgment on the one who eats, for God has welcomed him. Mentioned off the top, the difference of opinion in Rome here is food. What was happening, you had Rome, this very cosmopolitan, very pagan environment, where you had lots of pagan sacrifices going on in the city. And there was meat that was offered to these pagan deities. And often that meat, whether used or not, after that sacrifice, was then carted off to the marketplace. And people bought it and sold it, and they'd serve it at tables. And often Christians found themselves in homes of recent converts, maybe just people in the city, and they realized, whoa, that meat was offered to such and such an idol. And you had these young, brand new believers that are like, wow, I can't do that. I'm not associating with that. Right? That's what was going on. Do you see that? 
Like, wait a minute, I can't eat that. I can't eat that. It's unclean. That's key. So one person is sensitive to eating that leftover meat. And again, often a young, new, converted believer, right? Maybe just the previous week or month, they were the ones sacrificing that meat to whoever it would be. Again, pagan deity. And so they abstain. They're like, I'm not eating. That would be one. And another person feels differently and says, that's just meat. Don't you remember what our Lord said? All things are clean. doesn't matter what kind of ritual, whatever thing they did to it. It's clean. You can eat it. And they had no problem eating it. Now, if that was it and just individual approaches, right, it'd be like what you see at a buffet table, right? Bob doesn't eat this. Betty eats this. We're just kind to one another. We even have a joke about it. Oh, you don't like this? I love it. Ah, right? There's something about fallen humanity that can't leave it there, especially when you bring spirituality into it. Well, that's not enough. No, that wasn't it. It wasn't just a different approach or a different conviction. The issue in Rome here, look at verse 3, is this. The one eating freely, look at this, this is a strong action, was despising the one who abstained. Despising the one who abstained. This is a brother or sister uh, despising them, right? You can just imagine. We can insert all kinds of things that would give us this despising. There's this sensitive brother or sister. It's like, I don't want to eat the meat. And the stronger, supposedly mature Christian, is despising them. But then look at this, it works both ways. The one abstaining, look at the verse, was passing judgment on the one eating. One's like, well, you, you will be condemned for that, consuming that meat. You will, you, you wait, and you see how this works. In fact, you're probably thinking of many examples today. It wasn't enough to have one's own conviction. It wasn't enough to have one's own opinion. But here, opinion was taken externally, and here it is, applied and pressed into others. It's not just mine, but it must be yours. Brothers and sisters here were not welcoming each other, but instead they were doing what? Despising and judging one another. Despising and judging. In the wake of that treatment to one another, God's word says this. Look at verse 4. Who are you to pass judgment on the servant of another? It is before his own master that he stands or falls, and he will be upheld, for the Lord is able to make him stand. Westman, I don't want to overcomplicate a simple verse like this. God's word is saying three things here. Look at it, just three things. Number one, judging others' opinions and preferences is not for you and I to do. I mean, we want to do that, don't we? But it's just not for us to do. They are not our servants. This is the argument that Paul uses. They're not our servants. Now, here's the reason why. Their opinions, and here's the second thing, their opinions stand and fall as servants to their own masters. Do you see that? It's not for you and I horizontally to question. It's for them to answer to their master. And if they're brothers and sisters, who is their master? Who is their master? The Lord. His opinion matters to all of us. That other brother, the verse says, will be upheld. Look at that word, upheld by the Lord. In other words, the Lord has their back in opinion and preference. You see that? The Lord's got this one. He has them. He props them up. You say, really? What? I, I mean, have you heard their opinion? It makes no sense. Did, did you hear what they were saying? It doesn't make any sense. Yeah, to you. 
And here is where we need a few reminders. First off, we're not talking about sin. We're not talking about breaking the law, right or wrong. And if that was the case in Exhibit A, we would all be sitting up for the sake of the brother. But that's just not it at all. So whatever is said may not agree with our opinion and our conviction, but it is welcome and not welcomed by us, by the Lord. The text says the Lord welcomes them. Second, look at that. They're welcomed by who? And we have to press this point. Look at the end of verse 3. Verse 3, it says this. talks about the one who abstains, passing judgment, despising. Don't do that because for God has welcomed them. Isn't that incredible? You have this picture of people being despised. You have this picture of people being judged. And while this horizontal, lower kind of despising and judging is going on, God's like, I welcome them. I welcome them. Why not you? I welcome them. That reminder that regardless of our opinion of him, the Lord welcomes that brother, that sister. Yes, the Lord welcomes him. Why? Look at verse 5. One person esteems one day as better than another, while another esteems all days alike. Each one should be fully convinced in his own mind. So key. Verse 6, the one who observes the day observes it. Why? In honor of the Lord. The one who eats, eats in honor of the Lord. Since he gives thanks to God, while the one who abstains, abstains. Why? In honor of the Lord and gives thanks to God. Three times. Look at verse 6. Three times. You want to talk about how we're not to question motivations? This text gives you the motivation of those in Rome, and it's what? They did what they did, why? To honor the Lord. Wow. The motivation is to honor the Lord. So the abstainer does so, why? He abstains, why? Because he wants to honor God. The one who eats, eats freely, why? Because he wants to honor God. The day is honored, and so on, why? All for the honor of the Lord. Each one, as verse 5 says, fully convinced in his own mind. That speaks to personal conscience. Wonderful. Again, this is opinion. And much to our chagrin at times, much to our chagrin in opinion and preference, there is always more wiggle room in preference than we want to let on. Is that not true? Here we see, Westmount, the problem isn't that someone is doing something that God disapproves of. No. Rather, it's someone is doing something that we disapprove of. That's the problem. Here in our strong opinions, we miss God's word on this. In differing opinions and matters of conscience, where here it is, every one of those squabbling, quarreling, they do it to honor the Lord. What a picture. Honoring the Lord is not so not only is judging others off base, but in the end, that is the wrong action. Do you see the irony? In the despising, in the judging, they're actually then, they have now elevated it to an issue of morality. And that's wrong. That's wrong. Where brothers and sisters are gathered in Christ's name, there is living for his name. And we celebrate the goodness. I look out at a sea of people that are all different. Well, maybe not a sea in this pandemic, but you know what I mean. A lot of people, which is refreshing after four months of no one, but you're all different. It stands to reason that you're going to have different opinions about life. And I speak for myself and I know the elders. We want to hear it. We want to know, what do you think? What do you think by the way that God has made you? Because when you open your mouth, you want to honor the Lord. You've got a hearing with us for sure. 
And where brothers and sisters are gathered in Christ's name, again, there's living in his name. Look at verse 7. This is wonderful. For none of us lives to himself, and none of us dies to himself. For if we live, we live to the Lord. If we die, we die to the Lord. So then whether we live or whether we die, we are the Lord's. Amen. Verse 9, for this end, Christ died and lived again, that he might be both Lord of the dead and of the living. Westmount, all of that to say that our redeemed lives now lived openly and fully, making choices, here it is, that are not sinful, law-breaking, or wrong by any measure. We're honoring God as the motivation of our heart in what we're choosing. That's it, right? We want to honor God. Well, God's word says, in that manner, if that's your heart's motivation, Christ is Lord in life and death. It's just amazing. And when brothers and sisters do that, even if our opinions disagree, we welcome their opinion. Of all people, we should have the strength to do so, right? Of all people, we have the grace to do it the right way. Why? Because the Lord welcomes differing opinions. The Lord, of course, knows our hearts, and especially he knows our bent to judge. And that is why he gives this reminder to close out this section. Look at verse 10. Why do you pass judgment on your brother? Or you, why do you despise your brother? For we will all stand before the judgment seat of God. For it is written, As I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me, every tongue shall confess to God. So then each of us will give an account of himself to God. You know, you look at those verses and the matter cannot be pressed more pointedly than God's word. Don't you appreciate God's word sometimes? It just presses the point right up to our nose. Judgment is God's business. We need to repeat, judgment is God's business. In fact, in the fullness of time, not only is judgment God's business, our opinions in the fullness of time will be accountable to who? God. Our opinions, our preferences, our whole life will be made accountable to God. That's right. And this is a good check for all our strong opinions. Look again at verse 10. For we will all stand before the judgment seat of God. That's just so clear. And Paul then proceeds to affirm God's coming judgment. That quote there from Isaiah 45. Coming judgment and right of the Lord to do so. In other words... God has always declared that everyone will face him. Now, let's be clear about a few things. Unbelievers, yes. That's very different. Because in one sense, they haven't gone through the gate. They're not in right relationships. So they're, in this sense, one facing of our Lord comes in Revelation 20. And it's called the great white throne judgment. That will be when they face the Lord. And we understand how that ends. But here, here it is. We're talking about believers, believers being accountable to God, facing God. You say, really? I thought we were justified in Christ. Amen, we are eternally secure. That doesn't mean we won't face our Lord and give an account for our lives. I mean, this is all through the New Testament, just like the believers in Rome and the believers in Corinth. Let me give you two instances in the same congregation to Corinth, 1 Corinthians 3, 14 talks about the, the hay and straw of our lives, right? But on the foundation of Christ, right? So our work will be revealed in that day. What we did with our lives will be revealed, but we're in the end okay because we're in Christ. But there is still a consequence for not living the life God intends. 
2 Corinthians 5.10 says this just as explicitly. We will all face the judgment seat of Christ. You can go on. There's many other references. The New Testament teaches that even though our eternal security is secure, and I want to make sure that's clear, our eternal security is secure. Amen. We, Christian, will still give an account to God for every word. What about Matthew 12.36? Penetrating verse. Every word will be held accountable to God. We've said, and here, here, every opinion, strong or weak, will come before our Lord. Indeed, verse 12 says, each of us will give an account of himself to God. I think, you know, that is enough for all of us believers, is it not, to be weak need? Why would we heap judgment toward each other? It's all coming, and in one sense, God's not condemning, right? He just asks, like the, the parable of the talents, right, what we've done with the life we've lived. We should be encouraging each other. We should be welcoming each other if it's true that we will all face the Lord for the lives we live. That's the Christian way. And as a result, if that's true and it is, we welcome opinion. That's our first point. We welcome opinion. And we don't quarrel about opinions. We don't quarrel about opinions. Next, we welcome opinions. Secondly, we withhold obstacles. We withhold obstacles. Look at verse 13. Therefore, let us not pass judgment on one another any longer. You see the theme here? We're just tracking with Paul. We will not pass judgment any longer. Fair enough. As we've just seen, we don't judge, but we welcome. However, the verse contains more. It suggests our strong opinions, when they are pressed horizontally, they do more than just cause strife. Do you see this? It's one thing to just cause strife in a moment, but it could do something more. In fact, this text is going to show us it could cause more than strife, stumbling. Stumbling. Look again at verse 13. Therefore, let us not pass judgment on one another any longer, but rather decide never to put a stumbling block or hindrance in the way of a brother. This is just one of those verses that's just so rich in the way that Paul, through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, is communicating to us something. I want you to look at those words, judgment and decide. Judgment, decide. In the Greek, those are the same root words, krino. It means to weigh something, to judge. And do you see what Paul is doing here? This is just marvelous. That's the word for weigh and determine, but he uses them in two different ways. Look at it. In other words, the word of God says, if you want to judge something, if you want to krino something, if that's what you want to do, then do it this way. You want to judge this way, but this is the way you judge. Don't judge externally. Don't judge others' opinions. Instead, it says judge yourself. You see that? It says if, if you really are wanting to judge, right, if this is an itch you want to scratch, judge yourself. Judge yourself. Crino yourself. Do it this way. Weigh yourself. This is the Psalm 139, right, with the Lord's help. Resolve yourself. Look at it. So judge yourself to not put a stumbling block before others. Now that's judgment, is it not? That's Christian horizontal judgment. I judge that I will not do this to my brother. And indeed, look at it. This verse suggests to us that our opinions, our own convictions, if pressed into others, create not just strife, but look at it, they create what? A stumbling block. This is more than a bull in a china shop. This is where we're causing them to injure themselves. And we're going to see how in a moment. This is serious business. Pressing our opinion, elevating it to morality, not letting go of the issue, 
causes them to stumble. Imagine the scene in Corinth. You just go back to that sensitive brother. Can you just imagine that scene? He's sensitive, newly saved, three weeks saved. Like, I can't eat that meat. And you get mature, but you're like, come on, eat that meat. You know it's nothing. You're like, okay, well, they're older, and I got to listen, and I got to do this. And he eats it, and what will happen to him that night? He's ruined. And you see the text will say he'll be destroyed. Because of what you've done to his conscience. His conscience was convicted, and we'll get to that in a moment. But he's ruined. He's convicted that eating idle meat is a sin, but he eats it anyway. Imagine that. He's convicted of sin, and he does it anyway. That's, that's hard. Now, you might say this. Some of you might be here. Yeah, and I mean, I get that, but he's fine. He feels bad. There's nothing wrong with him. He just needs to toughen up. Eat it. There's nothing wrong. I mean, what he needs is maybe just a little debrief and a talking to. I mean, what's the big deal about this? He's actually fine. And for some, that's it, right? That's where they would land. Well, that would not only be the insensitive answer, but it actually biblically is the wrong answer. Look at verse 14. I know and am persuaded in the Lord Jesus that nothing is unclean in itself. Praise God. He, he re- references what we know. Nothing is unclean in of itself. However... But it is unclean for anyone who thinks it unclean. Wow. It is unclean. Paul says his conviction, his persuasion, which by the way is orthodoxy. I mean, Paul's got his theology in order, right? Yeah, it's all clean. In fact, the Lord Jesus said so. Not only did the Lord Jesus say it, right? He, he showed in a vision to Peter the same thing. Do you remember Acts 10? We have over and over again, praise God, all foods clean. So before the Lord, yes, there's nothing wrong inherently with the idol meat. It is clean, per se. Yet look at what God's word says at the end of verse 14. But it is unclean. Here's where you get personal. For anyone who thinks it unclean. Now track with me here. It's still clean, but there's a sense where there's a conscience in operation here. It's convicted of sin. If the sensitive brother is convicted that it's unclean, then here it is. Then to him it is. You see that? To him it is because he's not, and we're going to get here, he's not living by faith. Now to be clear and note what is said, not unclean to all. We want to be clear. Not unclean to all, but to him. And that's just so key. The sensitive brother is not binding the conscience of others. You've heard this, those of you that have been in the church for a while, you hear this often, right? You hear this expression, we, we can't let them hijack the church. No, 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 that's the wrong way. That's an insensitive way to say it. We have sensitive Christian brothers and sisters, and we love them. There's no hijack going on. What they're thinking is, I need to honor the Lord, and we need to support that. Freely, freely, with our consciences checked and clean, and we need to foster them. However, his conscience is sensitive before the Lord, and that has implications. Now, this is where we need to say this. David taught on this, because I know what some of you are thinking. Well, is he going to continue to live this way? No. We address the situation, right, and and honor that choice, and then, like what David did for us last year, remember the Wednesday night study, the conscience needs to be informed properly. Does that make sense? And this is especially true for a new believer, a young believer, we are free in Christ to many things. I'm going to say more about this in a moment. We cling to those liberties, but we need to be informed of how we deal with liberty. 
but we are free. And often it's just a matter of after that event, we teach. Until the conscience is rightly informed, then we have a responsibility. Look at verse 15. For if your brother is grieved by what you eat, you are no longer walking in love. By what you eat, do not destroy, there's that word, do not destroy the one for whom Christ died. So do not let what you regard as good be spoken of as evil. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Whoever thus serves Christ is acceptable to God and approved by men. So then let us pursue what makes for peace and for mutual upbuilding. I want you to look at those verses again, some language that we need to note as we work through this passage. Number one, Paul says, look at verse 15. If we press our convictions on others to the point of, look at the word grief, you see that? We are no longer walking in love. In fact, this is a very unloving thing to do, to press our convictions to the point of grief. And that makes sense. If we're pressing our convictions on someone, who is in view? Them? Certainly not us. I want you to live life my way, right? My way. Two, as a result, also in verse 15, we're not only causing grief, look at the strong language, we're destroying the one for whom Christ died. Wow. We're destroying them. A strong way to suggest we're tearing down for the sake of our opinion. Tearing down for the sake of our opinion. And three, look at verse 17. Paul says that opinion, conviction, preference, food, drink, look at it, is not what the kingdom of God is about. Instead, what is it about? Galatians 5, remember? Peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. We want to get granular with our practices, right? And, and make sure we're all on the same conveyor belt, right? And, the, and the, that's what we want because we feel comfortable doing that. Rather embracing the different ways that we are, the different opinions, and living in harmony that way. I mean, that's a beautiful thing. And finally, look at verse 19. Let me read this verse again. So helpful. So then let us pursue. This is your pursuit, beloved. What makes for peace and for mutual upbuilding? In other words, pressing opinions does not build up. Pressing opinions does not build up. Paul sums all those up in the next verse. Look at verse 20. Do not, for the sake of food, destroy the work of God. Everything, there it is again, is indeed clean, but it is wrong for anyone to make another stumble by what he eats. In other words, you can make a brother or sister stumble by pressing something clean. I mean, that, that's about as clear as it gets right there. We don't want to be there. In other words, Corinthians, for the sake of eating the food you want. And again, it's as if Paul says, yes, you, Corinthian, you, for the sake of your particular food choice and conviction and preference, right? Do not destroy others. Do not make others stumble by clinging to that liberty. Lay it down for unity. You know, this is one I, I, I can't go through a text like this without making a comment on this. The, the modern church regularly, regularly, hear me, gets liberty wrong. The modern church looks, and when I say modern, I, I am saying liberal, irresponsible, free, seeker-sensitive church says, looks at liberty and says, these are all the things I can do in Jesus. And what is it? It's a positive. Look at all the things that I'm free in Christ to do. It doesn't matter what they cause me to do after, but I'm free to do this. I want to submit to you, what Paul is suggesting here is not a positive, it's a negative. The mature Christian says, 
yes, there might be a pile of freedoms that I can do, but for the sake of you, I deny them. You see that? The mature Christian says, I don't need these things. And you know, I'm not defined by these things. And even more, I love you. And can I say this more than I love myself, that I don't want you to stumble, so I don't need to do that. And the list goes on. Cards, drinking, dancing, foods, days, the list goes on and on. How many Christians clinging to that as their brother or sisters destroy just because they can in Christ? Take 1 Corinthians 9, that's a classic chapter where Paul says, to the Jew I became a Jew. Have you heard that taught? That yeah, I'm going to go into a bar to witness. I'm going to do all of these things for Christ. Paul's point is not to add in your evangelism. Paul's point is to subtract. Paul says, I became all things to all people by subtraction for the sake of others. We want to add. I'm with you folks, I'm with you. Very convicting for me because we have many liberties in Christ. And so many of us, praise God, enjoy those liberties, do we not? But not to the sake of causing others to stumble. Look at verse 21. It is good not to eat meat or drink wine or do anything that causes your brother to stumble. There's a sense where you can take this illustration and talk about good, that good word, right? We need to redeem good. The Bible says you want to talk about what's good in the economy of the Christian church? It's good when there's something clean and you say, I'm not going to eat it for your sake. That's good in the Lord's eyes. In the eyes of God, it is actually good to withhold your liberty here eating meat precisely because of the sensitive brother or sister. Okay for you? Sure, it's okay for you. But it's not for them. Now, to this point, one might be tempted to walk away and think, well, this is kindness. Maybe if you're listening or here, you think, well, yeah, this is what I hear about Christians. They're just kind. I mean, this is just stepping aside for one another, right? It's nice. It's not serious. This is like just opening the door, right, getting out of the way. Yeah, yeah, sure. No, after you. No, I couldn't after you, right? And we leave it there. And we leave it there. But that's not what this text is talking about at all. The final few verses of this chapter are going to demonstrate just how serious this matter is in the body of Christ. Look at verse 22. The faith that you have, keep between yourself and God. Blessed is the one who has no reason to pass judgment on himself for what he approves. But whoever has doubts is condemned if he eats because the eating is not from faith. And look at this. For whatever does not proceed from faith is sin. Sin. There's that word. Get to that in a moment. Two words in these verses introduced here that reveal the spiritual implications of all this. This would be the moment where we would all sit up and say, wow, okay, faith, sin. Faith, Paul says, the faith that you have is between you and God. Faith, of course, is a very personal thing, is it not? Praise God. Faith is personal. And opinion, preference, is a matter of faith. This is what Paul's argument is. Why? Because everything we do, here it is, that is righteous. Think with me for a moment. Everything we do that would be deemed by God to be righteous flows from what? Our own nature? No, that's depravity, that's sin. Everything we do that's righteous flows from what? Our faith. Right? That, that imputation from our Lord, that faith that he gives us, right? Everything good that we do flows from our faith. And conversely then, if that's true, everything that does not flow from faith is not only unrighteous, but it's what? 
Yes, it's that last word at the end of verse 23. Sin. Sin. Christian, it's right there in the word of God. Christian, if you do something and you doubt, and you're having doubts as you do it, if it's right, that's not faith. You're not living by faith. It doesn't matter in the moment if it's objectively right or wrong. Can we hear that? It doesn't matter, like the meat that's clean, really. It doesn't matter if someone on looking says, why is he all worked up about it? There's nothing wrong with that. God says it doesn't matter. I gave you a mechanism. I gave you a mechanism. And if you're convicted by that mechanism, you're not living by faith, and it is, see God's word, it's sin. It's sin. What matters is that you are convicted about and you still do it. And I mean, that is serious business, right? If you're doing something, anything without faith, then logically it's what? Sin. Sin. That's what it says, and it makes sense. For sure, a conscience needs to be properly informed by the word of God. And we go back to that example. We would take that brother and sister, tend to them in that moment, right? Foster them through that maybe they just don't know, they haven't been taught. And then afterwards, not when there's a pressing decision at stake, we teach. That's what we endeavor to do here at Westmount, right? Just teaching. So our, our, our minds are renewed and informed, right? So that we understand what is right, what is wrong. But in the moment, this is a matter of faith and a matter of sin. And I pray you can see, Westmount, as we come to the end here, preferences pressed to others can be a very dangerous thing. There is nothing wrong with opinion, but there is something wrong with pressing them. Pressing them, and it becomes spiritual, and then it becomes moral. And certainly to other brothers and sisters who aren't convicted like you are. That really is it. Christian, you withhold obstacle for the sake of others. Why? Because for you, it's okay. You can live with or without it. But for them, it's a matter of faith. It's a matter of sin. Now, that's the instruction from God's word, right? We just walked through that, looked at food and days, what's going on in Rome. I just want to leave you now as we close with a few final takeaways before we conclude and indeed move on. A few final takeaways. Number one, the heart of this chapter is not personal preference, corporate unity. I really appreciate, Jim, what you said this morning. So bang on. How we need to live in the sense of the corporate. I appreciate Jim said, we are flooded with an individual narrative, are we not? If it's good for you, then it must be good. No, the Christian says, it may be good for me, but is it good for you? And only then will I know if it's good. Do you see that? That's a huge difference. The world tells you it doesn't matter. In fact, if you go to some corners of the world, they say, just walk over anyone, whatever. I mean, if you feel good about it, then it's good. That is not the way of Christ. Church, the issue here is personal opinion elevated to corporate standards. What's going on in Rome? And that will always create a quarrel and an issue. Instead, church, we love and we lay aside. Ephesians 4.3 says, be eager. I love that word. Be eager. To do what? To maintain the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. Be eager for peace. Colossians 3.14 says, above all else, put on love, which is the bond of perfect harmony. That's what we need to do. Two... And related to that is the issue of our witness before a broken world. I've really been convicted about this, beloved, but it flows out of a text like this. Consider, 
before we come back here, the final words of our Savior, just so you see, this is a New Testament, this is a church thing. On the eve of the crucifixion, do you remember the upper room? Do you remember Jesus' prayer, the high priestly prayer? Do you remember what he said at the end of that? His prayer to the Father was that we, we, brothers and sisters, would be one with the Father and the Son, perfectly one, as he says, which is just an amazing truth. In verse 23, and here it is, and why? Why are we to be perfectly one? Jesus continues in his prayer, so that, there's the, the so that, so that the world may know that you sent me and love them as you loved me. You see that? There is a purpose in our unity, and what is it? Not only harmonious fellowship, which we all want, but a witness to the world. Because the world looks on and says, okay, you want me to come to church, you want me to give a hearing to this, you guys can't even get along about this thing? And you want me to come there? I mean, I got enough going on here. And you want me to come to disunity? This is an issue of witness. Francis Schaeffer has a wonderful expression for this. He calls it the chasm. Francis Schaeffer taught that there's a chasm naturally between who? Believers and the world. And we love them. We reach over that chasm. But what Francis was getting at, he's like, don't, beloved, bring the chasm into the church. Do you see that? And we do that. Well, whose side are you on? I follow Apollos. Oh, yeah, well, I follow Paul. Don't do that. The chasm is there. The chasm is there. It's a great way to look at That's not what we're about. In fact, we are children of God because someone bridged that chasm for us. Let's not continue to carry around our canyons. Three, do not neglect the fellowship through this. This is the knee-jerk, and this is the modern Niger, can I say this? This is the modern response to the times. Well, I don't want to hear it. I don't want to be there. I'm just going to forsake. Beloved, I press on you, and I will admit this last point is very personal to me. Do not forsake the gathering. Do not forsake the gathering. Our default when differing opinions come, and yes, in this pandemic, we click on this default and it's what? Well, I'm just going to stay away. I'm just going to stay away. And of course, there is a time to do so. Please hear me. There is a time to do so. There is. However, we are now four months in, and now we can regather legally, responsibly, and necessarily. Some of our brothers and sisters have gone four months without face-to-face fellowship. Four months without face-to-face fellowship. You tell me what's life-saving. Four months. Hearing that, Westmount, knowing that unity and livelihood is at stake, I want to suggest that maybe for some, this is me, you can throw stones at me, that's fine. Maybe the cure is worse than the disease. I hear in the morning, I listen to the radio, try to get, you know, different facets of news and heart of the pandemic, crying son and daughter because they couldn't be there with their parent while they were dying. Story after story, and some even in our midst recognizing, wait a minute, four months? I don't even know if my parents have four more months. Is the cure worse than the disease? Well, enough of what I say. What does the word of God say? Psalm 84.10. For one day in your courts is better than a thousand elsewhere. Finally, number four. The final example and exhortation spill over into chapter 15. Let us not miss, we can't read Romans 14 
without getting into Romans 15. Look at these first few verses. We who are strong have an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. Amen. Let each of us please his neighbor for his good to build him up. For Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, the reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me. For whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction, that through endurance and through the encouragement of the scriptures we might have hope. May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another. In accord with Christ Jesus, that together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord, Jesus Christ. Paul points, do you see it there, to Christ as the example. Look at verse 3. Christ is our example, is he not, as Christians? Verse 3, it says, he did not look to please himself. Christ took on reproach. Christ denied himself for what? For you and me. Christ denied his right as God for you and me. That's your example. Beloved, so should we. We follow Christ. And to do so, look again at verse 5 and 6. We can't say this enough. May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you, here it is, to live in such harmony with one another in accord with Christ Jesus, that together you may with one voice, one voice, glorify God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Westmount, here we are of one accord and with one voice in the one Savior and Lord Jesus Christ. That is true. We know it to be true And we're so thankful for the strength we have in this body here. And I mean, I look out to a testimony to that fact. Someone reminded me yesterday this very sad truth. Most churches in Peterborough are not gathering. And here you are. Because there's something greater than this life. And your eternal life is secure. This, as Jim said... This is what it is all about. And think about this, beloved. You gather, this is the cherry on top. You know what the real reason why we gather is? To give glory to God. We gather because we have hope after this life. We gather because this life, we don't live in fear. Our hope is secure, so we gather and we sing and we give praise to the glory of God knowing that one day we will join the heavenly chorus. Secure. Secure. I said I wouldn't do that, and I did. Pray for me. We end with verse 7. Therefore, welcome one another, as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. Father, we...